All right, church. Let's be real here. If our missional communities aren't a mess at some level, then we're not doing it right. If our missional communities are not disorganized in some way, distracted, uh, experimental, confusing, haphazard, then we're not doing it right. If our missional communities aren't filled with a bunch of different sorts of people with all like competing agendas and ideas, we're not doing it right. If our missional communities aren't these places where there are believers and non-believers, we're not doing it right. If our missional communities are comfortable places where things are as can be expected and where we're with people that we like and who like us and where we, we're not stretched, we're not challenged, we're not exposed to people who are strange and different and other, we're not doing it right. And that's not just me speaking, that's Jesus speaking. I'd like to read you a parable of his. He actually said it, it's recorded twice. There's slightly different versions. You know, Jesus speaking in different times and different places. Uh, he used the same metaphors, but told them in slightly different ways to apply to different crowds. And so we have two different examples of the same parable. It's in Luke chapter 14 and then Matthew 22. I'd like to read these parables. parables. We'll just start with Luke 14. I want to read it, and I just want to ask you, in this parable, who are you? Jesus is telling the story to a crowd, and he wants people to think, well, am I that person in this story, or am I that person? He's painting a picture, and there's lots of different characters in it. We are one of them. I pray that we're the right one. So Luke 14, verse 12. This is the parable of the great banquet. Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor and the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Don't do what feels good. Don't do it for yourself. Don't do what's convenient or comfortable or will pay you dividends later. Just give love the others. Now, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I've bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. And so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, then go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited 
shall taste my banquet. This is a parable to the Jewish people from Jesus, a Jewish rabbi talking about God who called them. Come to me, come to me. Here's Abraham, your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's the 12 tribes, the nation of Israel. Here's Moses. Here's my law. Here are my commands and my love. Love me, love your neighbor, follow me. And instead, it just became a bunch of rituals and rules. And when God said, come to me and love me and know me, they said, no, I'm too busy. I've got things to do. I have property just bought. I have to go see it, otherwise I can't take care of that sale. I'm married and I'm too busy with the affairs of my life and my new wife. I've just bought oxen. I'm busy. I'm sorry. There's things going on in life that are more important. So God, when you call me, I can't respond. Well, Jesus is the one standing there on God's behalf calling and no one's responding. Well, not exactly true. The ones who responded were actually the ones that hadn't been invited first. See, the people who had been invited felt the honor, felt that they were worthy, felt that they belonged, felt that they already had it all in the bag. It's done. It's good. But the people who were longing to be a part of something, longing for God that were apart from him, that did not know him and did not have him, were rejoicing. We have an opportunity to go to a feast. And these other people said, yeah, we can go to a feast another day. God will be there tomorrow. And these others that are desperate say, I am hungry. Let me in. And God says, come on in. So this is a parable about heaven, about the resurrection, about who will actually be there. Have you ever thought about that? Who will actually be in heaven? There are some that were convinced, oh yeah, that person's going to be there. And they're not going to be there. It was about them. It was not about God. Or in some way in God's judgment, he's going to say, I never knew you. But there's going to be a lot, I promise you. There's going to be a lot of people who we never expected to see there who are going to be at the feast, the eternal feast with God. And I don't know what that feast is exactly going to look like, but I want to be there. So who are we? Are we the master? No, that's God. Are we the servants that are sent out? Maybe. Those are Jesus and his apostles, right? The sent ones, we are also sent ones, so that would be good if we're sent out and we're calling people to come into the feast. Are we those that grew up Christian, grew up Catholic, grew up in faith and say, oh, I've got that, I'm not worried. And then when God tugs us, says, go and do this, we're like, oh, I'll do it later. And when God says, go and you know, leave the things that you have, which are just tying you down and wasting your time, become something that I'm calling you, like, I'm too busy. We could be. It's easy to be that way. Life kind of overtakes you and, and wraps you up and slows you down. Got to fight against that because we don't want to be those. Or are we those that are just out in the hedges and the city alleys and the streets and the highways and byways and when we catch wind of something good, we're like, I have got nothing. I want that. Do we run to the feast? That's who we want to be. But then once we get there, hopefully we become the servants that go back out into the street and call more people in. But think carefully about who you are in this parable. So let's flip over to Matthew 22. And like I said, Jesus repeats it again here, but it's slightly different. Sometimes when people look at the Bible, they say, oh, look, it contradicts itself. It says this over here and this over here. But no, the, the very last sentences in the Gospel of John say something to the effect of, if everything that Jesus did and said was to be recorded, there wouldn't be enough books in the entire world to contain them. So Jesus was talking nonstop. He was doing miracles nonstop. We don't have all of them. 
We have the core ones. We have his message. We have all the the powerful moments and many small moments. But when you see parables that look a little different or have a different detail, just picture Jesus for three to five years preaching the same message. It's going to come out a little bit differently with this crowd and a little bit differently. It's not a contradiction. It's a a teacher (laughs) teaching. And it's a different audience here. They need to hear this point. And this audience needs to hear this point. I heard it said once, actually, along these same exact lines uh, about... um, Billy Graham, a great evangelist, great preacher, great teacher, uh, that as he would travel around, he only had like three or, or five or a very small number of core sermons, but he would change his illustrations, he would change his applications based on where he was, but he wasn't preaching 500 different things, he's preaching one thing, the gospel. Let's say to God, I'm sorry for my sin, save me. Like he's an evangelist. So Jesus was much that way too. He had a message. It was a message about the kingdom. Now we today in 2021 are are trying to build that same kingdom. So his parables about the kingdom, his message still applies. Um, So let's read from all the different examples of how he applied this and apply it to ourselves. So I'm going to read it for us. I ask you again, please listen. Where are you? Where am I? In this story, Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. So again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. So again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fatted calves have been slaughtered. Everything's ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and they went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. So the king was angry. He sent his troops and he destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. So the servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both the bad and the good. I love that. And so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. Then he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. So the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him out into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. So we have a similar thing here. We have a king now, you know, doing a wedding feast for his son. This is God. This is Jesus. And he's invited all his guests, all these Jewish people that that have known a Messiah was supposed to be coming, but haven't waited, haven't responded. And now even as Jesus is saying, come to my father's feast, they're not responding to him in that moment. And instead they attack him and they kill him. This is the crucifixion. And so God said to his servants, said to his apostles, please go out into the streets and bring in anyone who you will find, both the good and the bad. And so it says the wedding, house, wedding, wedding hall was filled with guests. So when the king comes in, he sees the good and the bad, those who are invited, those who are there for the right reasons, those who aren't. But he sorts, he looks through and he says, friend, where's your wedding garment? He singles someone out and is like, you are a pretender. 
You're pretending to be part of this, but I see this. So even though the good and the bad are all invited in, the servant's job, the apostle's job, our job, is just to invite everyone in. But God sorts and says, I see your heart. You're here for the wrong reasons. You're here as a pretender, or you're here as a a false follower. You're not really here for the wedding feast, to follow and believe in my son and join me in heaven. And he cast him out. He says, for many are called, but few are chosen. This, this chosen, this predestination, this election, this foreknowledge of God. He knows everyone from the beginning to the end. He knows who will respond to him, and he calls them. So there's this general call of us to everybody. And it's not supposed to be just the good. It's supposed to be the good and the bad, and everybody in. And then once we introduce ourselves and them to God through his son, and we're at the feast, then we let God do the sorting. He will take care of that. But if we look to fill our wedding halls with the best of the best and the richest and the cleanest, we're not doing what God calls his servants to do. Call anyone, invite them in. So this is the story of the Jewish people and that destruction where it says the king sent his troops and destroyed their city. This is absolutely a reference to AD 70 when the Roman army destroyed Jerusalem and and raised the temple to the ground the way Jesus had predicted, the way other prophets had predicted. You know, you, you have not responded to my call, God says, and so I will demolish your city because I'm not about that city. I'm God. And when I call you, respond. And when I send you my son, follow him to the feast. Who wouldn't want to be at the feast? So who are we? Who are we? Are we those who have been invited, but they were not worthy? We're not the king. That's God. He is the one who does the calling. He's the one who has control. We're not his son, but we are his son's servants. And we're invited to the wedding feast. And at one time, all of us were just out on the road, on the byways and highways of our lives. And Jesus sent his servants to come to us. The apostles have come to us through the pages of scripture. Other believers in our time, maybe it was our parent or our grandparent or someone at church or at school, introduced us to the son and said, did you know that there's a wedding feast? And I love that Jesus uses the symbolism of a wedding feast. He's not calling people to a drudgery. He's calling people to a party. He's not calling people to a a life of ritual obedience and legalism. He's calling them to a celebration of life and freedom. And yes, it means putting away sin, but that's a joy to get rid of the things that are dragging us down and killing us. That is a joy to confess our sins and finally get it off us, to feel a clean conscience That's a party. And Jesus is calling us to the feast. We should call people to a feast, not simply to obedience. We know that they're kind of one and the same, but from the outside, as I come to our system of rules or come to a God that wants to set you free from your chains and celebrate with you his prodigal child who has come home. So think about these these parables. Do you see a missional aspect to them? (laughs) Because I absolutely do. The the, the sent servants are going out into the streets and finding folks. They're not just setting up shop at the wedding and saying, hey, I wonder who's going to come in. Isn't that a missional community? Isn't that a missional church? That's what we're called to do. And if we do that, what sort of people are we going to find? Well, if we find them on the streets and in our neighborhoods and in our soccer fields as we're watching our kids play in our school systems and in our, our fellow cubicles at work, like we've, what are we inviting them to? 
Are we inviting them to church? Or are we inviting them to a relationship with God? To a feast and a party for his son, Jesus Christ. I'd like to pull all these thoughts together with one other metaphor that Jesus used. I'd like to tie them together. And we're not going to turn there. You can. It's in Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus calls his first disciples. He calls Peter and Andrew and he says, they're fishermen. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. So we had these two parables we started with where, where people are going out and searching. Uh, recognize the connection between that and a fisherman who looks out on a lake or a stream and searches for who might be there to bring them in. Now, if you're Steve Hedges or others that compete in fishing tournaments, or maybe you just uh, love fishing as a hobby, you know that a good fisherman spends all his time thinking about the fish. Because whatever the fish want, whatever the fish need, needs to be how he approaches them. If the fish like this sort of bait or are ready to eat at this time of day and you go and use something different or go at a different time, it won't work. A fisherman doesn't say, how do I like to fish? A fisherman says, what do they want? What do they need? How are they feeding? How are they hungry? So that I might be successful. I spend all my time being preoccupied on finding methods that will match them. Not asking them to come to me. Fisherman just doesn't go out in the, the middle of the pond and you know, pull up the oars and sit there and just wait for the fish to jump in the boat. The fisherman spends all his time thinking about where the fish are and going to them. Do you see the parallel here? Now, different people do this in different ways because we're different types of fishermen. My personality, my experiences, my way of speaking will be the right sort of net, the right sort of lure, the right sort of bait for a certain type of fish who's interested in what I'm talking about. But I won't be the right sort of person to connect with someone over here. They need a different voice, a different man or woman or child that's connected with God on their own and to represent that relationship with God that'll make sense to them. And churches get this all wrong all the time because we all feel like we're fishing for men, but it ends up being like a fishing competition. They're fishing for the same people that we're fishing for, and actually churches end up fishing for people from each other's congregation, and it's as if it's a competition. Churches are not in competition. It should be collaboration. It should be complementary fishing. Oh, you have this deep sea apparatus. Well, then you fish over there. Oh, you've got just a, a fishing pole and a small canoe. Well, then you go fish over here because you'll be best suited to meet people with these needs. And I'll be best suited to meet people with these needs. And when we work together, God's kingdom grows, not our church. Christianity becomes a fishing competition when it's supposed to be complementary fishing. And all of us fishing for the king, bringing in the catch, doing it our own way. So if you look at our church now, we have a very specific sort of net, a very specific sort of bait. We're in homes. It's very small, very relational. This means that the people who will want to hear about God through our means of worshiping Him in our homes will be the kind of people that like to be in close relationships, people that connect well at that home level. Someone who's looking for a very big, uh, ornate service, uh, say a Catholic church or a Protestant church that just takes their, their worship to the holiness of God and is very solemn and serious, they might not think that sitting in a living room playing a guitar is, is sacred enough. 
Well, it's okay because we have churches that are fishing for men in that way. But we should keep our eyes open for the people who will want that experience, right? So if our church looks different, then we're going to be looking for people in the world that don't want the typical because we're not going to be typical. So we pray that God leads those folks to the exact thing that they need and leads us into the exact relationships that we need. You know, if our church is representing a different approach, then maybe the people around us who are turned away from God because of church would be willing to look at us and say, oh, they're approaching things a little bit differently. Maybe I'll give God a second chance. So those who've been burned by church experiences in the past, we all have because churches are filled with people, but sometimes that just turns someone away from God. It's the saddest thing ever when we Christians turn people away from God because of our bad behavior. But we might be in a perfect place to cast a net among those who don't want traditional church and maybe help some return to the Lord. How beautiful would that be? Maybe there are some that feel like they get lost in a big place, but individual one-on-one time is what they're craving because they're lonely. Maybe those are the sorts of fish that we need to be praying that God introduces us to. And this is not a winning or losing sort of thing. It's not what can we do, how many can we get. It's not a competition. We're servants. And there are people that are looking for God that need him, that want him, that recognize that need. Everybody needs him, but they recognize the need and want him. Let's just be the ones to say, hey, I love God. Let's connect. Let's grab a coffee. And maybe through me and through us and through our missional community and through our little New Hope family, you'll find a way to make your way to the wedding feast. So recognize what we're fishing with. And don't think it's supposed to be one way or supposed to be another way. Our missional communities are supposed to look like a haphazard group of people who you'd think it should have been this one, this one, this one, but actually it ends up being this one, this one, and this one, because it isn't always those who are invited that come. It's those who God says, go out and find and invite. And when they respond to God and join with us in that feast, uh, it says there's rejoicing in heaven among the angels. So I encourage you, please, make your way to the feast. Please, don't be the one who's too busy when God comes knocking. Please, be the one that goes out and invites the least likely people from the least likely places and just spend all your time thinking about the folks around you who need God instead of how we can make our experience with God the most convenient, comfortable, and enjoyable one for ourselves. It's not about us. We are not the mission. We are the missionaries. May God bless you as a missionary and as a fisher of men this week.